the questions people are asking, the the challenges they're facing, the the despair that they have been delivered from is all life-giving for me personally, but also faith-affirming and, and ultimately church-building. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Great, Nick. Thanks. Matt, can I just say how relieved and affirmed I am to know that you and Anne like The Chosen? <laughs> Don't spread the word there. I don't know that we're, we're less than uh, right down the line with the cage stage Calvinists out there. Right, right. But, <laughs> uh, I will say that I disagree with her about the well, specifically liking the things that aren't in scripture. I The things about the show that I like and love and even sometimes move me to tears are the depictions of the things that are in scripture. Yeah, no, I think what she, I mean, I think she wrote, a second article today. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're talking about that one or not, but um, you guys have all heard that Alistair Beggs, the, oh. the man of the little cross, said I could come in. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Right. right. So that's not in scripture. It's, but it is, it is a helpful, interesting kind of way of getting at the point that, uh, that are the basis of our entry to heaven is, is Christ alone, which is scripture, of course. Um, so, so I think her point there was just that she likes the way that, that uh, Jenkins, uses these kind of backstories yeah to kind of illustrate the point and uh and make it make it uh something people can get their uh, imagination into it's it's i mean it's, it's like watching a sermon it's that's what i've ways. described it as yeah, i think yeah, it's yeah. a visual sermon i think i you know i take some liberties with the um with some aspects of the sermon that um you know obviously aren't explicitly in the um text um but hopefully the doctrinally uh you know <laughs> accurate uh so the thinnest so. ice that the chosen is on with me is with andrew's man bun <laughs> I said, Re- really dangerous territory there <laughs> i haven't i haven't been watching it though we keep we like to binge it so like we got we got burned the last time when it ended and it was like it felt such a sense of loss and longing that I just mm-hmm. decided I was going to wait till it's totally over. <laughs> All seven watch seasons. It. That's right, and then watch it just time and time again, just right. nonstop until the Lord comes again, until we see it face to face. Why look in a mirror dimly? Well, you guys, I wanted to give our our listener a little window into my life, which is that on on about Monday, we record this show on Wednesday each week. About Monday, I send a note to JD and Matt and say, what should we talk about on the podcast this week? And I get absolutely no response whatsoever. I send you um, funny so... Twitter things. <laughs> so... I send you annoying Twitter things by our mutual enemies. So I re-up, I re-up my requests Monday night, Tuesday morning, something like that. And eventually I'll get something from each of them, which is I'm happy to talk about anything, <laughs> which is enviable. I I love and respect their abilities to talk about anything. I do not possess this ability myself. Whatever erudition I trick people into thinking I have is from uh, research and preparation. So we have turned on the mics and started the timer this afternoon without a specific topic in mind. There are things happening. There's a discu- various discussions on Twitter about things like uh, temptation and sin and the difference therein. There was that thing we just saw the other day about the Archbishop of Canterbury and reparations and 
apologizing for the sins of the church rather than taking care of the churches that he has under his present cure. What are you guys feeling like talking about today? I'll well, see, edit I, out the long that's, silence. That's a great question for JD to answer because JD, I mean, <laughs> he can well, just Well, I did think, I did think that, you know, I found, this is a shout out to the Irreverent podcast. I have found that somebody sent it to me and I think, I forget the name of the two guys on it, but it was a great, um, so not much a, of a shout out. Well, if they listen to us, I don't know if they, uh, right. I don't forget their names. Uh, Daniel French, I think is the guy's name, but anyway, somebody texted me this. They said, Oh, we found the UK version of your show. And I thought it was great because they have like, you know, thousands of, of followers or whatever. Um, but he was the one who posted it about the reparations, the, the, um, the archbishop saying there's a hundred billion pounds or something worth of um, hundred million, I think. Oh, was it a million or billion? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> With inflation, it's all the same at this point. We'll be using the pounds to insulate our homes. But at any rate, um, but I thought it was a fascinating take from uh, that side of the ocean, as it were, because he was saying that, you know, there are churches that are that are just struggling to keep the the heat on, you know, that are there's kind of like squeezing the the paltry membership that they have just to pay you know, the, these, these really anemic salaries for the most part, as far as I understood in the church of England, I mean, they get make, they make like, um, you know, less than like a mailman or something. Um, and so at the same time that the archbishop is, is, is watching his church just sort of suffocate under the, um, you know, all of the various COVID restrictions and the financial insecurities and all the things here, he comes with this huge virtue signal. And if it really is only a hundred million, you know, in the terms of the amount of money that the church of England has in property and, and things, it doesn't seem like, you know, a particularly sacrificial gift, even if it was, I mean, it, it's just, it was just such a, it was an interesting juxtaposition. It just struck me because I, I really felt for um, these kind of hardworking, faithful vicars of which I'm grateful that the Irreverend podcast is at least two of these guys. And I barely, you know, honestly, outside of Calvin Robinson, who's not even in the Church of England, I really very rarely found Church of England clergy that spoke so frankly and so forthrightly about all the sort of things that we talk about. And that's, and certainly they're out there. And if I'm disparaging, I'm, I'm not trying to disparage the entire church, but but in general, particularly the leadership, you know, the bishops and the archdeacons and all of the various um, bureaucracy that are, are just sort of laughable kind of um, Terry Gillum send-ups, you know. But these two guys really speak with, with passion and clarity and and, um, and conviction. And so it just struck me that this is your average, maybe maybe there's more hope for the smaller um, kind of average Church of England vicar that's really just, just struggling along because the Lord will honor that. But um, it really must have been demoralizing to see the Archbishop so uh, clearly uh, pandering to, you know, to the secular elites um, in, the, in the face of what was actually happening to his church on the ground. So I, I, that, that, I mean, we don't have to talk about that much longer, but I just, it was, I was struck by that because I was, um, well, again, once again, grateful for the ACNA, you know, and we have bishops and we have bishops who have, uh, you know, their diocesan headquarters are in their basements. You know, we have right. people that are, you know, in school gymnasiums all over the country and, and faithfully and courageously. So, and so, um, you know, I, I sort of feel some solidarity with them and these struggling vicars uh, in the UK. I've got the headline right here from the Telegraph. I don't have a subscription, so I can't read the whole article, but it says Justin Welby defends 100 million pound fund to, quote, address past wrongs of slavery 
as churches struggle. And the subtitle is Pledge Comes Despite Stretched Finances of Parishes Facing Economic Crisis. So there the you great go. irony being that the church through Wilberforce was like the primary mover to end the slave trade in the entire Western world. You know, I mean, that's what that's that's one of the I mean, of course, it has its its problems and blind sides. And, you know, the cultural inertia was, you know, millennia old for it to be overturned. But it was literally the the Church of England um, members and the Christian witness, particularly through the work of uh, uh, William Wilberforce, that that really um, turned the entire ship around. And so, um, Calvin Robinson, to his credit, speaks very, I think, eloquently about the the British, the role of the British people or the government in ending the slave trade. You know, and the sacrifices that the even the the former the the, the British Navy made to like shut down and and try to to end the the transatlantic uh, transatlantic slave trade and losing their own lives and ship and men in the process. And he he speaks really um, clearly about that, and I'm grateful for it because it's um it's a bold and 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 historically accurate witness to 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 make. I mean, the Church of England is such a. I mean, I, I'm, I, there are some things that come out of there that I just I, I can't believe. There was a couple weeks ago. There was the um, oh the trend the binary the, bingo. The, the binary. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. So, you know, it strikes me as like the place that. The Episcopal Church would be exactly the place where the Episcopal Church would be had we not um, had they not uh, gone full on uh, affirming uh, on uh, affirming gayness, right? Because because the, 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 the Church of England hasn't done that yet; they're about to. They have they have it studied. It's still out, and it's going to be released. I think sometime uh, this year, which I think will be. The point at which they well, it, the living love and faith has been released, but the, uh, there's some sort of synodal, synodal oh, okay. uh, discussions that have yet I'm, to, I'm out of the loop. Yeah. continue, but um, but yeah, but the, that's going to be yeah, it's a foregone seems a foregone conclusion, right? So, but like, just imagine like, if the Episcopal Church hadn't taken the term that the Episcopal Church took, Church took, I think we would be like the C of E. We'd be this, this, in every other way, as as progressive and. And weird as it could possibly be, just hadn't taken that one step yet. And when and so it's we're just now waiting for that one step to be taken for the C of E. The Archbishop of Canterbury has well be he's been an unmitigated disaster. I mean, he's just been awful. And I remember when he was first when he was first brought in, evangelicals were beside themselves yeah. with joy. Like, oh, this is great. Uh, Rowan Williams is gone. Yeah, because he was a he was a alpha guy. We thought we thought you know we thought that was going to be the yeah. um you know the I got, silver yeah. bullet. Well, if you read anything that he'd been writing, I think like this, I was I went back and read some of his articles when when, I, when his first when his name first started floating up, um, and he was already you know back then talking about how how you know this is you know there is a place for people who are affirming and a place for people who are not affirming, and we just didn't get, gather around the altar. He, he was definitely preparing the ground for what I think is going to happen this year, way back then, and he never was of the mind that that those who promote homosexuality or you know any kind of relationships outside of marriage um are necessarily not christian and not in the church he was he was never never going to enact any kind of strict discipline in the episcopal church and he and so he's i don't know this is this is does not surprise me that he's going to spend what 100 what is it, 100 100 million, 100 million pounds, pounds 100 million pounds to uh, i mean I'm, I'm sure if you asked him i bet he would say something like well this is going to show how you know how concerned we are for justice and that's what the young folks are looking for as a place concerned with justice and <laughs> well, he just, Russian. He just tweeted today. Right. He just right. tweeted today that you can only move into the future with integrity if you acknowledge the 
past with truth I don't, or with, with, with honesty. I don't have the tweet in front of me right now, but I assume that he would say something like what you're saying, which is that that kind of honesty, transparency, and then integrity is what's going to bring in the young folks. Yeah, I mean, just like it has for the Episcopal Church. I mean, look how it's right. honest and integrity. It's just, it's just, it's that that whenever whenever someone says we need to do this thing to bring in the young folks, or any folks, or any right, right. right. <laughs> we need to appeal to the folks in this way. Is we've been given the thing that appeals at the deepest level, which is at first an affront, as we've said, that you are a great sinner. That's an affront, and people will run away from that. But when their life rises up and smacks them in the face and they realize that it's actually a truth, then we have an actual appealing, comforting word. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Yeah, I I, um, I was reading another. I'm I'm swinging wildly from subject to subject here. (laughs) That's um, good. That's good. By design. Yeah, yeah. But the... I think people who say things like that, who are orthodox, like you do sometimes you will hear people who are faithful say things like, well, the church needs to change this in order to be more appealing to the youth. I think the people who are orthodox anyway, who have that mindset are still living in, you know, world, neutral world or whatever Aaron Rins categories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so, and maybe, maybe in neutral world, mm-hmm. you can moderate your tone on something or, or do something flashy and attract more people in, but not in negative world. You're just not going to do that in negative world. Uh, you have to be. You have to speak lies in negative world. If you, if you don't want the world to hate you. Mm. Um, whereas, I'm sorry. It was in the neutral world. You could. You could just. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think that taxonomy works. I, I think it's helpful. I think it's descriptive. But I, I do appreciate the the pushback. And and again, I I, I listen to Aaron a lot, and I think um, he's happy with the pushback because he's just happy with the engagement. I mean, he really has made. You know, that's that's made a, a cultural difference. His his three worlds. But, you know, I think the the reality is the neutral world was just a facade, uh, because if you actually um, were even in the quote unquote neutral world, claiming the lordship of Christ over every inch of the earth, you know, if, if you were you were submitting not just your private thoughts, but your actual life to what you considered to be gospel. Uh, well, then you were going to walk out of step with even the most, um, you know, the most benign neutral world person. And I think there, there have been groups of people who have essentially said, you know, the there was a there was a period where this, you know, like the winsome third way. I mean, all these all these discussions that they thought they were making a case, you know, like, I mean, Tim Keller for for all those wonderful things that he's done. Um wonderful Bible studies and, and I in many ways very influenced by him. But you know, there was that decade or so where the cultural apologetic of the of the winsome, you know, city engagement. So well, we talked about it before, like the 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 appeal of Schleiermacher to the culture despisers. I wouldn't say Tim Keller's Schleiermacher by any chance, by any stretch, but but there was this idea if we could be smart enough, educated enough, winsome enough, you know, sophisticated enough, well-bred enough, well-read enough, whatever the case is, that somehow we would get an audience with the culture despisers. And, you know, I think that now we just see that. Well, the the facade has been removed, and there's just no place at the table for blaspheming the the, the neo pagan idols. And there's an analog so, too, just like if we have music that's good enough, or a smoke yes. machine that's powerful enough, or a coffee shop that's that's right delicious enough. If we have, but there's always the old saw that there's always going to be somebody with better music than you. There's always going to be somebody with a more powerful smoke machine and a better coffee shop, including. 
people who are not trying to yeah, tell remember about going Jesus. to the Christian Christian bookstore. It was like, if you like Pearl Jam, you'll like, you know, you'll like Carmen. <laughs> That's or right. Something. That's <laughs> it's right. like, if you like, I was like, well, what if you like, um, you know, Pantera and Megadeth. And, or what uh, if you actually <laughs> like Pearl Jam? Like, that's right. Like Pearl Jam. Like this is a shaky, uh, it's, it's, a it's, shaky version. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about that, um, about Romans 1 with respect to the, uh, you know, that they, the willful denial of the truth, you know, and the sort of they're there, therefore without excuse, you know, unapologeticos, like they are, they, they're, they're, they're complicit in this. Um, they being, you know, the unbelievers until we're delivered from the realm of darkness into light. And I think we have, we have underestimated the, not just the, the blindness, but the, the, the complicity of willful blindness with respect to the unbelieving world, I think at our own peril, you know, because we've said, if you just understood how much God loved you, you know, if you just understood the depth of your sin, if you just, you know, read this book or heard this music or went to our church, then you would willfully change your mind against worship of yourself over against God. And that's just not, well, Paul certainly knew that wasn't the case. And I think entire, our entire sort of past two generations of, of Christian winsome witness, you know, um, I mean, for all the good that Young Life has done, you know, for instance, you see the the cracks that are coming out now with the the do better young life people, you know, I mean, if you were told the entire time in young life that, you know, God is love and just read the gospel of John and never like sort of got much deeper than that, which is not what all young life people do. But if that's what you did, well, then all of a sudden when you find yourself, you know, at odds with the with the arc of history with respect to the LGBTQ plus stuff, well, then no, no wonder there's all these ex young life people who are who are clamoring for young life to quote unquote do better. And, you know, in a certain sense, that's like a microcosm of the entire kind of American evangelical world, because there was this very, you know, like that documentary, very American gospel um, that sort of promised you health, wealth, happiness and and place at the cultural table. And that has all been, um, you know, pulled out with incredible speed. And, you know, here we are, <laughs> here we are, you know, we all, need, we all need to move to Binghamton or we can just hunker down and do the, the Binghamton option, you know, it'll involve a lot of animals. And no, I, the great thing about Binghamton though, is that nobody up here, well, I'm very few people up here have this kind of existent Christian culture that, you know, just kind of going along with, um, you know, when I grew up in Texas, it, I, I went to church every Sunday. I wasn't a Christian. My dad went to church every Sunday. He wasn't a Christian at the time. Everyone just went to church. It was a Christian place, Christian people, we're all Christian, 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 and no one really was. Um, but up here, that's just long gone. That's so, so gone. People up here only go to church because they're actually Christians or they or they wouldn't go because, right. they, well, I, I take that back. There are some liberal, you know, very progressive denominations up here, but, but people only go to churches like ours because there's Christian, because there's no, there's no social, you get no social, social status from it. You get no, it doesn't help you in any way, right? Uh, or any way to go to church. Now, I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, actually, I, I, I hated that when I came up here because that means lower attendance. Um, but I, I actually like it because you can pretty much count on people being serious when they, when they do come. Yeah, it's true. I remember, I remember talking about that when, um, we came back from Europe, you know, we spent six years, three in Berlin, which is like on all, all metrics, like the least godly, least Western city left or something. Um, 
And, you know, it was that very thing. It was like, there were these people that if they, if they came to church, um, you know, there's absolutely no reason to come to church. There's amazing brunch culture still extant in, um, in Berlin, at least. And you start eating brunch, you like at 10 in the morning, and then you finish at like four in the afternoon. Cause they still have a lot of appreciation for the blue, what we call blue laws. You know, not a lot of people work. There's a lot of leisure activities, but, um, church is not really part of it. And so I came back, I remember to the Episcopal church and, um, in Louisville and, they're like, oh, you're going to be so bored. This is so different. You know, this is the Bible Belt. Everyone goes to church. And I even then we look around and I was like, well, I seem to be one of the younger people here. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of people move back here and they're all right, they're out there. But this doesn't seem like it's at least going to be, if not now, um, much different. And that's exactly to your point, uh, Matt, is that there's been a great winnowing. I mean, a great this is just a his we're living in the historical epoch that the Lord has carried his people through time and time again where um, they get bloated, they get indifferent, and they are judged. Um, and in this case, we're being judged by the, well, specifically through the LGBTQ, you know, drag queen tsunami that's just burning through at an incredible pace and incredibly shocking. If you had told, if you had told me 10 years ago that there would be grown adults who would be wearing, um, you know, prosthetic dog costumes as part of their... Uh, as part of their online persona in in the highest levels of our government, talking about unspeakable things with joy and 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 sort of pride, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said, well, you know, I know that I can imagine a world where that type of depravity exists, but I couldn't. I mean, surely that wouldn't Stop be making slippery soap arguments. I would. Have yeah, said. yeah. Like surely, <laughs> like what do you mean? We just, you know, love is love. Like what could right, possibly right. happen? And so I think. You know, this is where we are. We're we're in a place where, um, you know, I, if anything, I think we all should be. And I'm talking to myself here. You know, certainly not triumphant about this, and and much more repentant and sort of, um, you know, sackcloth and ashes with respect to where uh, the church has gotten. And, and I know we we are to a certain degree, but I, I'm convicted by that more and more as I look around and I, because the. The, the ramifications of it is, yes, you know, it's church membership, but I mean, a non-Christian society, as we read through all of the various um, historical accounts, is a very brutal, painful, um, you know, dark place. And so I, um, for the sake of my own family, much less the family of God that we've been given to shepherd, I pray that it um, that the Lord relents and, and turns his wrath away. But here we are. I remember coming for the first time to a church in the Episcopal Church in a different city, not Louisville. And my the, one of the first things that I wanted to do was have lunches with everybody who was serving on the vestry. And I remember at one of these lunches receiving some criticism from this person on the vestry for um, trying to shorten the piece, which in my defense was ridiculous at this church. It was <laughs> in the middle of the service and it was five or six minutes just milling around totally uncomfortable for anybody new. Did they give a microphone to new people? Like no. introduce yourself? <laughs> Handing a rose to everybody new. <laughs> no, but um, one of the reasons that I defended shortening the piece, and I, I won't spend a lot of time on this was just, you know, wanting to preserve the vertical nature of worship and feeling like that the church isn't a social gathering. Fundamentally, it's a worship gathering. And he said, well, not for me. And I said, Oh, well, what do you mean? And he said, it is a social gathering for me. And I said, so if if I came to church this upcoming Sunday and said, we're now a mosque, we worship Allah, but we're still going to have all of our social stuff, that'll be okay with you? And he said, yes. 
And so my question to you guys is, we certainly see the hemorrhaging of these mainline churches that don't believe in much of anything, but they're not gone yet. I'm curious to know, is there something outside of this one vestryman, I do think that there's something about the name of Jesus that some people, even as they shed everything he said and was and stood for, there's something about Jesus that they just can't quit. So there's something holding them there. What What is the thing, if anything, that's keeping these liberal churches alive? Well, I think a lot of it is age. I mean, you have an aging group of people who have gone to church all of their lives. And so I, I just don't, I think, I think people who have been habituated to church are going to just go to church. Um, they're just going to keep doing it. So it's sort of a the, for now situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but within, in addition to that, you know, there's, there's, I think the liturgy is pretty powerful. I think it's maybe okay, going to yeah. your point, Nick, is it, is it, if, if the liturgy is completely tooled with, which I think the new, with the, the Episcopal churches right now working on a new prayer book and who knows what's going to come out of that. But <laughs> right now they still got the nice. It's a manja prayer book or some sort <laughs> of a. Uh... <laughs> I mean, they still have the 79 book, for, which for all of its flaws, I mean, you know, you have the Trinity there, you have Jesus spoken of, you can hear the gospel in the, in the, in the liturgy if it's not mangled by the, the officiant. So you do have, you do have something, you have the, the, the truth born witness to hmm. in each service, especially if the creed is said. Yeah, you know, you have yeah. the vast expanse of interstellar yeah. space. To, to, <laughs> well, to okay, the Star Trek, the Star <laughs> Prayer C from the is it Prayer C or Prayer D? I, can't I, see, I, I think it's C. C. Oh man, that was a, that was a nightmare. Um, but 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 you have that, and I think also there are some who just go for the beauty of it. I mean, uh, there are people. Oh, yeah. there, there's 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 the the, the the vestments and the music. Yeah, and, the, yeah. and and I think they just it's a nice place to go on a Sunday morning before lunch. For a lot of people so those three things i think are, are kind of come, come together i think you know, i think as the older generation dies away you're going to see less of that first group who just come because they're habituated and then that's going to be really hard because then you've just got to hope that you have a beautiful enough liturgy and there's just enough and a beautiful enough uh service and there's just enough bare bones gospel stuff in the liturgy to keep people coming yeah, there's gonna I be so, so few organists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they're gonna be like the highest paid uh, musicians <laughs> in the world because there's like six church, six of them for like <laughs> no, I think you're I think you're uh, you're really onto something there, Matt. And I would I would add to that, and I'd be interested as you all say, at least from what I've seen, there's a there's a there's a person who's sort of, you know, Christ haunted. I forget the sociologist who said that, but you know, that they said the West was was sort of um haunted by yeah. um but but um I don't want to say it wasn't anyway, I don't know. Somebody can correct us in the in the the, the copious emails we receive um <laughs> after all these. But there's a there's a person who is who I think you're right, Nick, is is captivated by the name of Jesus, who is brought to the liturgy, who I think in a certain sense is a believer. I mean, I don't want to again, I have a I have a certain person in mind and, and I'm trying to to wrestle with it. And I think that they're a believer, you know, I, I would bury them as a Christian, but when it comes to sort of presenting, either presenting personal sin or the presenting personal sin in the their family or friends, they have found in the progressive church 
a seemingly safer place where they can be affirmed and sort of live into this, um, you know, Jesus loves me in a way that that I never thought before type world. Now, initially, that's that's both true and beautiful to a certain degree. But but what I've experienced in watching some of these people is they fall into what Gerhard Ferdi, a blessed memory, would call uh, the that would look at Romans seven as as a council of despair. What they would say is that there's sort of kind of like a Christian nihilism that can creep in that says this is essentially as good as it gets, you know. And so it's like, well, the Lord was not going to deliver me, hasn't delivered me, is not going to. And then by extension and ultimately won't deliver me from any of these things that I once considered sinful. And so I'm going to find a church that will simply, if not bless and, and baptize these sins, at the very least turn a, a blind eye. And I think that's the tension that a lot of people find themselves in. And what's interesting is that more and more people, like I'm thinking of that Twitter person, Christy Scup, you know, the um, the ex-evangelical yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So that person in particular has is like coming after progressive Christians by saying, like, you can't have this cake and eat it, too. If you actually read the Bible, if you actually listen to what Jesus himself says, if you actually read uh, church history, like you can't you if you're if you're honest with what the Bible actually says, then you you have to reject it if you have this certain mindset with respect to, you know, progressive ideology and things. And so I think that's going to be more the case. But I do think at the in, in the future. But I think at the moment, there's this group of people that is has basically found common cause with increasingly cynical but defeated, you know, what Kierkegaard would call the hopes, the nights of infinite resignation. They're like, you know, this is as good as it gets. Um, we're going to have this besetting and presenting sin um, the rest of our lives. And there's some comfort, cold comfort as, as it may be in basically just reiterating Jesus loves us even though we're broken. And I'm sympathetic to that because I do believe Jesus loves us in our brokenness, but I do think that there has been a lack of confidence in certain wings of the Jesus-saturated progressive church that um, that doesn't actually hope for and even expect some redemption. You know, not perfect, the side of heaven. Well, how least, some... it, yeah, was, okay. it was Flannery O'Connor who referred to the, oh, was it? the Christ-haunted South. Yeah, I well, mean, that's so that that's just what I mean, that's an observation I have, because I, I know some of these people and I saw them a lot in the in the Church of England, various expats that would, you know, find their way to to the English speaking church. And it was, um, you know, by and large, some of them, some of them, not all were, were very um, socially and politically um, progressive, but they had a deep affection for Jesus. They just um, had lost some of the confidence for 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 some good and some bad reasons to uh, pray for and expect deliverance from what we would what we would call besetting sin so, okay so my experience is that people are there, are there because they've wanted to who have these sins are there because they've decided to re categorize these sins as nonsense but you're saying there are some who still understand well i think sin. that's well i think okay. it's, it goes both ways i think that that eventually you know when you when you stop believing in the 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 sinfulness of sin, you know the exceeding sinfulness of sin, as Paul would say, and when you when you when you stop believing in the the destructive power of it, well, then you have a de facto stop believing that it was actually sinful. You know, because if you stop disciplining, for instance, your children for doing something, you essentially have told them that that it's okay. You know, even if you uh, so you either give up because you don't think it's important enough, or you actually have changed your mind to a certain degree. But at either rate, you've communicated the same thing. And I think that's where the sort of semi-Pelagianism of uh, of the of, of which is always our um, uh, temptation comes in because instead of when when we preach the law fully, 
it convicts all of us all the time fully, you know, so there's no reason if you have the the the, the gospel fully, then there's no reason to shy away from the fact that you are a, a, an inveterate murderer, thief, <laughs> an adulterer, like, this, you know, the Ten Commandments to simply continue to diagnose you as all of these things fully, you know, simul justus, simultaneously justified et peccator, and sinful. And the sad part is, is that if it's since the gospel gospel is watered down and then the law must be, you know, the gospel is only as strong as the law that you're preaching, so to speak, you know? And so if you're preaching half the law, you're only going to get half the gospel and half the gospel, half good news is like, well, it could be worse, you know, but like real good news is you will be resurrected by faith into the life of, uh, into the new life of a believer, maybe every day, you know, maybe every hour, but like, that's the promise. Again, I'm I'm speaking somewhat biographically here because I I remember feeling caught in this Romans seven web of um, helplessness, really, and saying, "Well, you know, um, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, you know, the world is broken, you know, this is sort of the, the as good as it's going to get." And um, I'm grateful that you know I was bemoaning that around some very faithful, hard preaching Lutheran LCMS Lutheran brothers of mine um, who eventually did not let me persist in that um, that lie and and said you know I don't know what you're talking about to, you know, tell me I don't know. you seem to be talking about a Christianity different than I have experienced let's let's get coffee and talk about it and and I'm grateful for those those men in my life. That's interesting because I mean I, I've always seen seen Romans 7 and I've, I've heard from people just as bad as I am who, who love Romans 7 because of the encouragement that you have that here's Paul um the great apostle who is still a sinner and Amen. and unable to get out of that and his only hope is with uh, no for sure I'm no no I don't think Romans 7 is rightly understood as a council of despair I think it's it's okay. rightly understood as as the is actually like you said the Christian is the person who can bemoan their Christ, their sins as a Christian with the depth to which Paul is speaking. I mean, that's that with was the, with the hope of the gospel. That's right. right. That was right. the hope. It's like you know the what we're fighting against is the seared conscience. He calls you know the person who just can sort of commit these things with impunity and doesn't cry out. You know who will deliver me from this body right. of death? You know that's the Christian cry. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, um, I was wondering how much this comes from. I mean. People I talk to in the Episcopal Church still who are Orthodox, I they don't. I mean, the the place of the sermon in the Episcopal Church is just it's anemic, right? There's if anyone if it's even listenable, <laughs> you can't listen to it without cringing. Um, it's all politics. So uh, my guess or personal is anecdotes, personal, personal anecdotes, you know, whatever. And but just and, leading uh, up to the real wish that you out there in the congregation were better. Well, I had my whole, yeah. I have the whole so, bishop. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Okay. I'm just wondering, I mean, I, I, I don't know that, there, that there's a, anything there, there in in, in, a, in the service to convict, I mean, in, in the average service to convict anybody because there's just, the preaching is so bad. The preaching is so done. It's so, it's so, it's so. Uh, no, the whole point us. is not to convict anybody. The whole right. trajectory of the Episcopal Church has been the, in the service of not convicting anybody ever. <laughs> well, to affirming, affirming. Right. Your... So, so you go, if you like, say if you're an Orthodox person, you're going to the Episcopal Church, you're not listening to the sermon. You're not going, you're not going for that reason. You have your own beliefs. 
Maybe you get, well, you try not you get, to you center get there the somewhere else, that way. and you and you shit, you sit there in the in the in the pew because you've always gone there. Your parents have always gone there, and you know there's there's certain. I think I think a lot of this can be explained by just the the loss of proclamation. Yeah, in, I agree in that denomination, and I don't know how long ago that that dates back, but it, it, a, it, go ahead. There's a great book called. Um, Feasting in the Famine of the Word, which I recommend, which is a festra for Oswald Bar. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, listener, but at any rate, it, it's to that very point is that the preachers have lost, and this is crossed on transdenominational, the power of the proclamation, you know, the law and the gospel. I mean, I used to make a joke about the, it's not really used to, I probably could still, the, um, you know, the classic sort of um, you know, Episcopal bishop sermon was, you know, slightly bemusing joke, little, little, you know, the beginning, not too funny, you know, we don't want to get too carried away. And then there was a personal sort of extended personal anecdote that obliquely referenced the, whatever the gospel reading was that day. <laughs> then there was a, a little serious, a little more serious story, probably historical, if not like an appeal to a poem or something. And then finally it was go and be more like Jesus. You know, yeah, that was yeah. the whole, and that's yeah. basically the, the template. You forgot so, about ex- the, the explanation of the hat and the staff. Oh right. yeah, got little, every bishop sermon has got to be a little joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's got to be, you know, it's really in this the the sort of the knowing the sort of knowing nervous laughter is always the kind of fun. <laughs> that, that was always the always the, you know, and God bless them. But um, that's uh, that's three just puppies in a poem. That's it. Three puppies in a poem, and and maybe a bunny in your case, Matt. You know, <laughs> but I think you know, guys. I think I'm not uh, despairing. I have seen. You know, it's not you know what we say arithmetic growth or exponential growth. It's not it's not meteoric, but to your point, Matt. You know, in every church I've served, wherever it's been, somebody has has you know the 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 tumbler has fallen, and whether they grew up in the church or they are new to it, they have become, for lack of a better word, fully devoted followers of Christ. You know, and are beginning to reconsider their their schooling to their children, reconsidering the 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 way they're spending their their weekdays reconsidering you know their um careers for that matter i mean it's been unbelievable to watch and i'm i i guess i shouldn't say i'm surprised since that's what happened to me you know i mean like i'm i'm living that reality i mean i i thought i was gonna i, w- I went to college basically just to figure out how to get a job that would afford me a defender 90 and a 50 foot hatteras you know that was kind of my my <laughs> and so here i'm here i am you know 20 something years later um so i'm grateful that we're not alone but i am also encouraged because i um you know the questions people are asking, the the challenges they're facing, the the despair that they have been delivered from is all life giving for me personally, but also faith affirming and and ultimately church building. It's it seems like a not like a seller's market at this moment, and that may be the case, but but it certainly um, does seem that the the harvest is still out there, um, and I'm grateful for that in terms of being a, a part of it. So, you know, we'll just um, keep on preaching, keep on um, uh, watching the, the the Lord bring uh, the increase. We are increasingly strained. I mean, that goes back to what we were saying about it. maybe to, to complete the loop of this winding and twisting conversation. <laughs> um, we are, you know, in, in, in a world of, in the world, suddenly Christians are very, very strange people. I mean, just say, uh, getting married, having kids, you know, raising them up to believe in Jesus, going to church—all of that's very strange now. The, the 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 values, and I'm not just talking about sexual values, just the the, uh, the values that we hold about 
uh, how we deal with one another, um, about, about, uh, money, about, um, how we spend our time. All of that is so, is so contrary to the world, just, just living, um, for the sake of Christ and then being willing not to, um, being willing to, to give things up that you would like to have just that basic Christian value is, is something that is antithetical to a lot of people in our culture who have been taught, you know, your self-fulfillment, self, uh, being, being, being your true authentic self is the way to go. So, so just standing there and saying Christian things is, is, is going to mark us out as very strange, um, strange people. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Again, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, we, we, the Christian student can now be identified and the gospel is so odd and so strange in our world that it will be heard i think yeah people it'll be heard in our day much like it was in the first century i think for the first time in america mm-hmm. the, the gospel has never been heard in america like it will be now it has been heard like that in other places and other times in different circumstances but not, but 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 here it'll be heard much much more like uh will be heard more like paul the Corinthians or the the people in Rome heard Paul um, than anyone in America has ever heard the gospel before. Well, three cheers for strangeness. <laughs> Let us keep keep proclaiming. <laughs> that was it was easier to some of us than others, Nick. Amen. Some of us will have to throw ourselves on the mercy of the Lord, JD. <laughs> well, that was certainly a meandering conversation, but we do thank you for taking the time to listen to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.